Good morning, church. Welcome to The Exchange. Church, how y'all doing this morning? Good. Did you enjoy that um, hour that you lost? Could have been so nice, right? Could have been so nice. Uh, good crowd here today. How many of you thought you were coming to first service? A few. Good. I'm glad that you're here. Um, I think I'm going to stay late after church just to see how many people show up to the one o'clock service today. Um, we don't have a one o'clock service, by the way. I'm just saying they Never mind. Um, I'm in a series called XO, Love, Relationships, and the Church. Today is my final um, exposition on that. And then next week we start a new series called A Generous Life. And I'm super excited about that. Today's going to be fun. Will you stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through 32. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. By the way, isn't it going to be lighter later today? So you have a little bit longer to be angry if you get upset today. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Father, we come before you today, and I thank you that I already see you moving in the room to bring reconciliation to broken relationships, to bruised hearts, wounded spirits. God, I just thank you that you didn't just die on a cross. You didn't just send Jesus Christ so that we could be in relationship with you, but so that we could actually live an abundant life, a John 10, 10 life, understanding that the thief, the enemy, Satan, the devil, the father of lies has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But you, oh God, have come that we may have life and have it to the full. So God, in this moment, we ask that you would come and do what only you could do. That you would come and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. God, set us free from all rage, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, unwholesome talk, relational tension, and relational dysfunction. In the mighty name of Jesus, we declare it, we prophesy it, we believe it, God. In Jesus' name we pray, let the church say, amen. You may be seated after you high-five somebody, give somebody a handshake, a hug. If you're watching online right now while we're greeting, I just want to greet you. I'm so glad that you're watching. It's not an accident that you're with us today. I believe that the Lord has something special for you today. Welcome. So today is part two of 
the sermon that I started last week, and the preacher was a little long-winded last week, so he had to go on to today for part two. You have on your notes the first three filled out. However, because I spoke at two services and had different points of contact at the end of the service, I just want to go back to step number three, point number three. It's already filled in for you, but it's be selfless, not selfish. If we want to build healthy relationships, we have to be selfless, not selfish. And we find that in Scripture where it says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, it doesn't say anything about being selfless or selfish. It just talks about stealing. Why isn't the point to say if you want to have healthy relationships, don't steal? Well, the point is a thief is selfish. A thief only cares about themselves. They only care about their needs, what they want, how it's going to benefit them. So I think that there is an overarching theme, maybe a principle that we can look at in this verse on healthy relationships with stealing. um, Because many of us, whether we want to admit it or not, we're thieves. And I know you're thinking, no, that's, that's just my husband, right? Or that's, that's just, that, you're confusing me with my sister. I, I understand. But if you think about it, we're stealing a lot of things. I mean, how much of your boss's time have you stolen in the last 30 days when you were getting paid to work, but you won't work, right? You, Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, you know, you were getting paid for those hours, but you actually didn't work. That's called, that's called stealing. What about some of you out there that are getting free cable? You know how to jailbreak a Roku or a fire stick? You know what I'm See, those laughing have done it. You've heard about it, or you've got relatives. You're like, oh, come over to my house. I've got 2,000 free channels, and I'm not even paying for it, bro. Yeah, you're stealing. We do realize that's stealing, right? Or, or we, we've learned those things online where we can watch the movies before they actually come out in the movie theater and we watch it for free. And we call that being resourceful or hashtag blessed. But God calls it stealing because there was actually a company or an organization or a person, you know, that had this intellectual property that they created something for viewing pleasure or for entertainment pleasure. And by the way, when we pay for those things, it actually goes to put food on the table of the workers who made that happen. If we're we're talking about relationships, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Like, let's not just look for opportunities for everyone to bless us. Rather than trying to get our meal half off just because the fries were a little overcooked, why don't we just tip double? So maybe they have more purpose at the fry station. Are you with me? I mean, if we want to have healthy relationships, it can't just be about what can I get the most out of this thing. It should be about what can I give the most. We should go from a get mindset to a give mindset. Don't be selfish. Be selfless. Number four, I want to spend more time on Point number four today, because this is really destroying relationships. I hope you're taking notes. This is going to be some good information. But point number four is be an encourager, 
not a critic. Be an encourager, not a critic. That's right, folks. I'm talking about communication. right now to be completely happy. We're going to blink and be 90. What? So let's just choose to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Your eyes are kind of glazing over. No, I'm just I'm processing it all. Some of these I wrote for you. So we have to exercise every day, mm. spend more time alone together, and we have to go to the therapist every week. It's a little pricey. No stressing over tiny things. Yeah, that's good. You should do that. Mm -hmm. We have mm -hmm. to get more involved in school, yeah. have more patience with the kids, and we need to work on our anger. I, yeah, I think it'd be good if you could take care of your anger. No, I said both of us. That's what I said, our anger. Okay. Um, no more smoking. Yeah, you gotta, get, you gotta cut that out. I don't want to make this about a fight. I want to just yeah. be positive. I, sorry. Okay, and then no more holding on to resentments. We have to just let that go. So if you're saying that if we're arguing and I apologize, you'll let it go and not throw it back in my face later? Well, I don't do that, but I will continue not to do that. On what you write. All of that. That's plenty. That's a lot. And you're going to eat better? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been doing a decent job. I mean, but I don't think there's anything wrong with having some fries every now and again. And then I'll smoke that day. That's not the same thing. It is the same thing. I like fries. And the other thing is your dad's stuff, the mm -hmm. not letting him, you know, guilt trip you all the time because that puts a lot of pressure on you and stress and then the whole family feels it and he is a grown man and it's not our responsibility. And you're not giving him money anymore, right? No, no, I haven't been giving him money. I haven't done that for years, I told you. Can you please put that down? Communication. How many of you have had those kinds of talks with your spouse? You know, the not yelling kind of talks that are very passive aggressive. Like we go through those cycles, don't we? Where I just need to say this one thing or yeah, you should do that. Or yeah, let's us do that kind of thing. Communication is critical in relationships. You know, over the last couple of months, my wife, she's really into gardening. And I'm in a garden because I love my wife. And she's into gardening, and she's been wanting a greenhouse. And so we've been looking for greenhouses, and those things are pretty expensive. And I bought one maybe six months ago, and I don't know, we spent $100, $200 on it, and it fell apart after the first storm because it was just cheap, you know, collapsed. So she was like, I really I need a good one because I want a good greenhouse. And we found one. She found one two weeks ago. She showed it to me, and it's in Cedar Park. And so this past week, I went to Cedar Park to check it out. She wasn't able to go, so I, I went with my phone and took some pictures, and it was good. It was a great greenhouse. It's awesome. Um, it's made of metal, and the, the glass, it's got like, I don't know, 50 windows, but it's not glass. It's, it's stuff that's not going to break, but yet it's sturdy. And I look at it, it's a 10 by 12, so it's a good, si good size greenhouse. It's really high. It's got the windows that flap up, so if it's too hot, you can let out the heat. You know what I'm saying? It's like... We're big time, y'all. We're big time gardeners now. And I'm like, Carrie, you've got to get this greenhouse. I mean, it was several hundred that they were asking for it, but I'm sure it was worth a lot more than that. And so I made this deal with them. I paid them cash to hold it, and I said, I'll come after the cold front. So the cold front comes through. And yesterday, Carrie and myself and Jordan and Tristan went to disassemble the greenhouse. <laughs> that was fun. 
I, I didn't think about the disassembly portion whenever I gave the cash. Um, but we showed up to this greenhouse. We walk in their backyard, and Carrie says, oh, I love it. It's perfect. It's everything that I need. And then um, I start disassembling it. And I don't know how to do this because it doesn't come with instructions. Some of the parts are a little bit rusted. And, and I don't know, Matthew, what the heck I'm doing. I really don't. I just start taking things apart. I'm, I'm an engineer. I've got an engineer mind. And so I knew what approximately I could do. So I decided this. Let's take off the roof in one big piece. So I take off, disassemble the roof. I get on one side, and I put my wife and my tall boy over here, tall boy son, my son, Jordan, over here. Just, just clarifying that. Uh, anyway, and so they, they lift up the roof, and I lift up the roof, and we move the roof off, and then I take down the walls, and I disassemble the panels, and we remove the, gla- the, the panes and all of that. And as I take off the screw, the nuts, and the bolts, I put the nut and the bolt, the bolt back in, screw on the nut, throw it in the trailer, and then we got home last night around 9 p.m., so it's dark. And we unload the trailer, put it in the backyard, but when we get everything out of the trailer, we look down, and on the bed of the trailer is approximately 83 bolts, 98 screws, a couple brackets I've never seen before. Apparently, the drive had miraculously unscrewed many parts on this greenhouse without directions that I now get to put back together. It took me three hours to, to disassemble this thing, so the boys asked me last night, hey, Dad, are we going to put this together tonight? And I said, no. <laughs> no. Because if it took me three hours to take it down, it's going to take me six hours to put it back. I mean, come on, let's, let's face it. Destruction and demolition always goes a lot quicker than the remodel. You know, you can take a sledgehammer into a kitchen and you can have fun and get out some aggression and you can knock on some windows and you can knock on some countertops and you can demo that bad boy because you don't care where the dust settles. But then when it's time to put it all back together, you can count on two, three, four, five times as long to get the finished product that you want. Isn't that a lot like communication in a relationship? With one sentence. You can flatten the relational capacity that you have with another person with with one word, one outburst, one moment or fit of anger or rage. You can totally destroy the trust that you've built with your spouse or your kids or your boss or your parents. I mean, it's taken years to develop trust, years to develop this relationship that you and I have. And, And in a moment like that, communication can just ruin it all. And it's really difficult to come back around, circle the wagon, and come back and say, oh, you know, I said that, but I didn't mean it. You know, that, that excuse can only fly so many times because the reality is the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I hate to burst your bubble, but if you said it, there's some truth to it in your heart. Communication is so critical and so important. And I love this verse, you know why? Because it tells us the what to say, the how to say it, and when to say it. The verse says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who 
listen. Communication is critical. In fact, James tells us that anyone that has a tongue is going to have problems speaking. That's right. 100% of us are going to have problems with communication. If you speak, you're going to have problems. I heard about this man who went to an attorney. He was having marriage problems, and he figured he was at the end of his line, so he sits down across the desk from the attorney, and the attorney says, so, I hear, you know, I, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for being on time. Do you have any grounds? And the man says, oh, yeah, we've got about two or three acres. The attorney says, no, 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 no. I mean, do you have a suit? Oh, yeah, I've got two or three. I wear them to church on Easter and Christmas. No, no not that kind of suit. Sir, I'm asking, do you have a grudge? Well, no, but I got a carport, one for her car, one for my car. Grudge, get it? Grudge. He says, no, 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 does she beat you up? He goes, oh, no, sir, I'm up way before her every single morning. And the attorney says, so what's the problem? He said, communication. You ever notice that sometimes we misread things? We think somebody's saying something that they're not saying at all all. We think they're out to get us, or they're offended, or they're, we've hurt their feelings, or something, or you're getting onto your kids, and they haven't even done what you think that they've done. Can I hear an amen from all the kids? And You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it happens, but you know what, kids? Guess what? On the other, other foot, you think mom and dad is out to get you all the time, because we're the enemy, and that's just not true. We're for you. But you build up a case in your own mind, and then you handle situations based on the case that you've made and you've developed in your own mind. Communication is critical. You and I have to get better at communicating. So what is it that we say? Well, we say wholesome things. If you look at this word unwholesome in the Greek, it means rotten or to spoil. It can't be used anymore. It's good for nothing. A lot of our communication is rotten and spoiled. It can't be used to edify. It can't be used to build up. It can't be used to encourage. As a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a, as a follower of the gospel, we simply cannot afford to let words fly out of our mouth that are not helpful. I've written down a few things, and this is just my opinion, so you can take it or leave it, but I've believe there is a list of dysfunctional communication things that you and I have to get a handle on if we want healthy relationships. The first one I listed was sarcasm. I hate sarcasm. I know some of you think, oh, that's how our family communicates. We're sarcastic. That, and that's fine. The problem is sarcasm is a cheap imitation of real humor because sarcasm has a victim. Humor is funny. Sarcasm has a victim. And at the end of the day, you may think it's funny to put other people down, and, and that's just how you show love. But sarcasm left unguarded will wound and break a person's spirit. Sarcasm, I believe there's no room for sarcasm in the life of a believer. I believe there's no room for demeaning comments in the life of a believer. I believe as a believer, we should never dismiss other people's opinions. I think name-calling should be off limits. I think cursing, this is just my opinion. If you're cursing in a relationship in a heated argument or discussion, there's no place for that in the life of a believer. 
Verbal abuse, absolutely not. Yelling, no, off limits. Talking over someone, you ever try to, a conversation starts to escalate. You know when it starts to escalate because you feel your heart racing a little bit faster. You know, no one really loves um, conflict. Some of you handle it better than others, but no one just thrives. No one wakes up in the morning and says, man, I wish I could have me some good conflict today. You know, some people just handle it better than others. But the fact is we all have a physical response to conflict whenever tensions start to rise. Some of us may sweat. Some of us may shake. Some of us may feel like we're going to cry. Some of, don't you hate that? You ever cried when you got mad? Oh, it makes me mad when I cry. If I'm, if I'm crying because I'm mad, I'm even more mad that I'm crying because I'm mad. And that you saw me crying makes me mad. As some of it, our heart starts to race, shortness of breath. Uh, just a lot of physical responses to anxiety because of, because of the conflict. And I think as a follower of Jesus, it's our job to speak peace to relational storms, not to elevate them, not to create more chaos. Um, I, I understand that many of us really are good at finding the bad in things. Are there any fellow pessimists in the house? See, um, there are a lot more than that. You're just too negative to admit it. I'm a pessimist. It's not, it's not a curse word. <laughs> I'm a pessimist. It's really hard for a pessimist to love Jesus and be filled with faith. I'm just saying. Um, I'm a pessimist, and I have to rein that in and, and, you know, baptize that multiple times a day so that I can see through the lens of Jesus and through the lens of faith. But I'm naturally a pessimist. Therefore, I can find problems in things a lot quicker than I can find solutions. But guess what? No one gets an award in heaven because you found the most problems wrong on earth. No one. There's no Academy Awards of, of people who picked out and nitpicked and discovered everything that was wrong. You know who gets awards? People who find solutions. I don't need more people in my world telling me everything I'm doing wrong. I know what I'm doing wrong. I need people that can see beyond what I'm doing wrong and see that there's hope for me still. See that there's something still good inside of me. See that in the dusty mine of my life, there's still gold that can be mined and, and dug for. Do you know what I mean? Like, I need people around me that are speaking life. Encouragement, not a critic. John Gottman did a study and he said that for every six negative statements you hear in a day, you will only hear one positive comment. Isn't that crazy? I suppose at the end of my life, there are many things I want to be known for, but I think one of them is, I want to be known as a man who believed in others. I want to be that dad who has the ball, takes a few steps back, and I, and I put some points on the scoreboard for my kids on the positive side, not the negative side. They're hearing six negative comments a day. For every one positive thing that I say to my boy Tristan, he's hearing six things out in the world that's trying to tear him down. 
And, and guess what? If I want Tristan to marry a girl after God's own heart, a girl who's going to propel him in his love for Jesus and, and like they're going to be on fire for Jesus, I have to set him up now knowing what it feels like to receive and hear positive things. Because if I don't, the first girl who walks by who knows how to bat those eyelashes and says, oh boy, you look good. He's going to be so drawn to that positive comment because he has been so thirsty for it in my home. I don't want my kids, you shouldn't want your sons and your daughters to be so hungry and thirsty for affirmation that the first person that walks along, no matter what their heart looks like towards Jesus, they're meeting a need that you and I have failed to meet while they're in our care. Be an encourager, not a critic. I know um, communication is difficult, but you can grow. When Carrie and I first got married, Carrie was a yeller, old yeller, just yell. I mean, yell. She would yell when she wasn't even mad, yell. You know what I'm saying? Hey, Trey, dinner's ready, right? What is even mad? She was happy, but yelled. When she was mad, you knew she was mad. All of Texas knew because she was a yeller. That's, that was her way of communication. That was her mode of communication. She was used to whoever yelled the loudest and spoke the most and talked over the other people got heard. That's all she knew. I was a stonewaller. Just withdraw, isolate. If there was conflict, I'm not going to talk. I'm going to punish you and punish me by being silent. And so you can imagine how that worked for our marriage with a yeller, an isolationist. Both of us fighting for power. I'm telling you, this year we celebrate 25 years of marriage. And that would not have happened if she was still a yeller and I was still a stonewaller. We have to get over this notion of accept me for the way I am. Forget it. The world doesn't spin around you. It doesn't spin around me. We can't say, accept me for who I am. We need to be saying, I need to be transformed and transitioned into who God says that I am. Because you can change. You can learn to communicate. God thinks communication is pretty important, don't you think? He sent Jesus to die on a cross for our sin. Then he met with his disciples and he said to them, go and communicate. Go and tell. Go and share. The enemy wants to convince you that you can't form words, right? The enemy wants to convince you that you can't share heart, right? The enemy wants to convince you that you can't connect the dots in logic and reason. Therefore, it's better for you to be quiet because if he can keep you quiet, he can keep you lost. If he can keep you quiet, he can keep you losing. If he can keep you quiet, he can keep your relationships in dysfunction. And and he can keep you quiet. He can keep the kingdom from expanding. It's no coincidence that the Bible says the power of life and death is in your tongue. There's no excuse to not be growing in your communication. 
You want to know how to grow in your communication? It's simple. Google it. Watch TED Talks. Read books. Did you know the more books you read, the better you can verbally communicate? You don't feel like you can verbally communicate? Read more books. Increase your vocabulary. Sign up for word of the day. The more vocabulary you have, the more confident you feel that you can find a word and reach for it whenever you need it. Even increasing your vocabulary will help you verbally articulate what you want to say. Increase your emotional intelligence. This is what our world is lacking so much right now. I talked about this yesterday to our parent purity class. Emotional intelligence. We need to be able to put words to how we feel. But in our fast food society, got to have it now. Society, like you don't even have to wait for for movies to finish in a season. You can just, you can go to Netflix and binge all day, watch four seasons back to back. Like you don't even, you don't even have to go through the awkwardness of dating anymore. You know, like you show up at someone's house and you haven't met them or whatever. And you're like, hey, you don't have to do that. All you have to do is swipe right. That we, We've lost in our generation, we have lost the perseverance needed to actually go through process. So we don't even know how we feel because our world is going so quick from minute to minute. We're happy, we're sad, we're lonely, we're tired, we're hungry, we're bored, we're angry, we're frustrated, we're elated. And we don't have the emotional vocabulary to even say how we feel. You, you wanna help your kids if, if you have littles? This will be the nugget you walk away with. Number one, give them Jesus. Number two, teach them to name their emotions. Because the word is very clear that anything with the name must bow its knee to the name of Jesus. Therefore, I should know when I'm lonely. I should know when I'm depressed. I should know when I'm bored. I should know when I'm restless. I should know when I'm irritable. I should know all of these emotions that go on rather than just say, I don't know how I feel, but it just feels not good. We have to learn what we feel and how to say it so that when you're in a relationship with a spouse and they come to you and they say, Trey, what's wrong? You don't reply and say, I don't know how I feel. I just feel like I want to be in a corner somewhere with the light off and just hide from everybody. I, I have to be able to articulate right now. I feel a lot of internal tension with what I'm struggling with and what I'm dealing with. I, I feel weak. I feel tested. I feel hopeless. I feel intimidated and I feel scared. We have to learn to communicate, church. And point number five, and I'll leave you here. We have to learn to practice forgiveness, not bitterness. Our team is going to join me on the stage platform. In verse 32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Now, if it stopped there, that would be so simple. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other. Hey, you forgive me, I forgive you. I forgive you. You forgive me. That seems simple, but that's not what Scripture is saying. It's not saying just forgive the people who offer you forgiveness. It's saying forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness is tightly connected to faith. 
by the way. It's not a coincidence that our faith is founded on asking Jesus to forgive us of our sin because faith and forgiveness is very tightly connected. In other words, for me to forgive someone, it requires an extreme amount of faith to say, God, I know that you saw the injustice done to me, but I trust you enough to balance the scales. I trust you enough to bring mercy to them and justice to me. Faith and forgiveness go hand in hand. Forgiveness is not the absence of pain. It is the absence of bitterness. So I'm going to ask you to dig deep today and choose to forgive those who have hurt you. Choose to forgive those who have done wrong to you. Choose to forgive that ex. Choose to forgive that spouse. Choose to forgive that boss. Choose to forgive that parent or that child. Choose to forgive yourself. We're going to sing, oh, come to the altar. And I invite you to sit or to stand or to lay down or to pace, to lift your hand, to cry, to smile, whatever that looks like for you. But I do ask you just focus on the Holy Spirit in this moment and allow him to do some deep cleaning in your heart. Every head bowed and eye closed. Speaking of faith and forgiveness, our human relationships will always be lacking if we ourselves are not reconciled to God. It is through the great exchange, our sin for his grace, that we come in relationship with Jesus Christ and we truly learn the fulfillment of family, what he meant to establish and create his kingdom on earth. So there are some of us here today, it's time. It's time to come home. It's time to say yes to Jesus. He's been chasing you. He's been pursuing your heart. And you're ready to say yes. You're ready to say yes. I know that Jesus has died on a cross for me. I know that God sent his son for me. I've been running. I know I've been lost in my sin. And you may even say, but I've been a good person, but being good is not good enough. And in this moment, you want to say yes to the Lord. You want to say yes to his sacrifice. You want to make him your savior and the Lord of your life. No one's looking around in this moment. If that's you, and even if you're watching online, do a physical act. Just raise your hand right now. If that's you, if you're wanting to say yes to Jesus, to turn from sin and to say yes to Jesus, just wave, wave at me and then put your hand back down. Thank you. Church, will you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for all of my sins. I say yes to that sacrifice. And I say thank you. From this moment forward, I'm a child of God. Because I believe that Jesus died for me 
that he rose again and that someday he's going to be with me in heaven. From this moment forward, my life will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just give it up for the people that said yes to Jesus?